many times folks have checked out our CMS in the past. They may be like, no, oh, what is this all about? And I would encourage you to, to treat this like, hey, let's check this out. Like it's the first time we've ever seen this because very much the things you're gonna see probably you probably have never seen before. Welcome to the Inbound Buzz Podcast, your weekly jolt of all things digital and inbound marketing. Brought to you by redpandas.com.au. Now for your host and co-founder of Red Pandas, Moby Sadiq. Welcome to episode 108 of Inbound Buzz. Last week we had on Luke Summerfield talking all things HubSpot CMS. That episode was so jam-packed, I had to break it down into two parts. In part one, we covered how modern companies see their websites as a growth tool, not as an expense. We also spoke about how COVID-19 has forced companies to make transformation shifts that they had to do anyway, but it's just forced them to do it a lot faster. And we spoke about some examples of how savvy businesses have solved the problem of not being able to get into people's homes. We also covered the thought of doing a big website redesign project every few years, which is painful to think about. Um, That will no longer be the norm in the future. That and a whole lot more. So listen to episode 107 if you want to catch those gems. In this episode, we'll cover more tactical details like how do you justify the cost of HubSpot CMS being $300 per month? Yep, I asked him that. HubSpot CMS versus WordPress, HubSpot Enterprise and who it competes with, as well as why IT departments actually love, for real, HubSpot CMS. All that and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's kick it straight to part two. So let's get into the actual detail of the products. We've got the HubSpot CMS, CMS Hub Professional and Enterprise as well. So the first question I have on, I guess, I mean, not that it's, it's not an entry-level piece of software, but the first entry level into you know the CMS, uh, the HubSpot product, it's $300 a month and it, we'll go through some of the features now as well, I think. Now, the question I have for you, and this is interesting too, like I, I think, you know, we have the same problem that HubSpot has sometimes is how do you justify the cost? Now, $300 per month, it's not a lot when you consider the augmented value, but, and it, it's definitely one of those scenarios. And I've, I've seen this in the past where, you know, um, clients have, you know, obviously you offer some recommendations, they take some, others they can't take at the time and for very valid reasons. But often it's one of those, the costs of a poor solution come back and often bite people. So WordPress might seem like a good proposition for a, a medium level enterprise. Um, and my cat's walking past, see the joys of work, walking past. <laughs> it's okay. So you can see uh, Rumi. Say hi. <laughs> Hello, say hi, Rumi. Hello. She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> probably checking out your uh, Mickey Extra Minnie Mouse. Guest. Your Mickey yeah, yeah, series. sees the mouse ears and starting to get hungry. <laughs> she can see the mouse ears. Yeah, so obviously, you know, it seems like a good proposition because it might only have to pay $50 a month hosting and yeah, MailChimp, we've got a free version of that or and whatnot. But when you actually add the value and the time and then you talk about the bottlenecks and, you know, like you have, having to go through IT, it actually isn't that much of a difference really. So I guess my question to you is, and I'm serious, I'm, I'm curious as well, because we often sell CMS hub is how do you justify that cost for companies who've never realized that they can get so much power within one sort of system? First thing that's important for everyone to, to recognize is that this system is not for everyone and that's okay. Um, I think, I think we, we very much when it comes to WordPress or Joomla or Drupal or one of those, um, but it comes up obviously WordPress being, being um, so popular there, there comes this like 
fight. Like, which one is better? We're going to fight each other to see who's got, like, the best features and all this. It's more – the way we look at it is it's more about fit. What is the right system to fit your company, size, goals, um, team, how you like to work, what, you, what your initiatives are, and to determine the CMS based off of fit, not necessarily, like – doing a tech for tech comparison kind of a thing. So that's, that's the first thing I would say to all listeners is first identify what are your goals? What are the initiatives you're going to run this year to get to those goals? How does the website play a part of that and what functionality is required on the site? And then use that to, to back your way into a CMS solution um, and find the right fit. And if that happens to be um, WordPress, we have a ton of HubSpot users that are on WordPress. We got a free plugin. Um, we got partnerships with WP Engine. HubSpot's there. We got your back. If it happens to be CMS Hub, totally cool there. We, can, we obviously got your back there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when whatever CMS you're evaluating, um, whether it's HubSpot, WordPress, Drupal, Joomla, um, Sitecore, make sure you understand, and you did a, a beautiful job of pointing a lot of these out, is the, the hidden cost of, the total cost of ownership. And the reason total cost of ownership is a little fuzzy is because um, it's kind of like the, the behind the scenes stuff you don't see that comes to bite you in the butt and where your actual costs come up. So if we use like an open source CMS for an example, the software itself is free. It doesn't mean that running the website on that open source software is, is free, right? So you need some level of hosting security. You know, again, if you're a professional business, you have customer data in your, in your going through your website. Not only is it important that you are secure for your own business you know, reasons of like growing your business, but for customer and just like compliance and risk and things like that. So there's a certain level of hosting things like having a CDN, which is a content delivery network to make sure it's fast, having an SSL so that it's secure, having, you know, all of these different things that are baked into like legit professional hosting. Um, and to do that, you're usually looking at somewhere between a hundred to $300 a month, depending on the size of your website. You could probably find some folks that do it a little bit cheaper. The second thing with hosting is look at their pricing model. Are they flat rate pricing or do they have variable pricing? Variable pricing meaning they charge for a certain limit of visitors and then when you hit that limit, you get charged extra for additional visitors or bandwidth or storage because all of those things can kind of creep out of the woodwork and add to your overall costs where before you even know it, you're paying... 5x what you originally were because of the sites growing and the companies growing and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So look for that. HubSpot flat rate pricing, 300 bucks, doesn't matter how many people, how much storage, whatever you want to do. It's just, it's predictable. And you know exactly what your cost is for the professional, 300 bucks US. Um, the third thing that I would mention is um, when you look at total cost of ownership is the cost to um, keep the site uh, maintained and up to date. Again, if you're paying for something like a SaaS software, like HubSpot, it's just taken care of for you. That's just built in. You're not going to have to deal with it time-wise, but you also just don't have to, like it's kind of baked into that cost. Something like WordPress, where you're managing this system yourself, now you're going to have to spend time and energy doing those plugin updates, doing the maintenance. If something, you know, and, and, and like 
if something, a lot of times like one plugin will conflict with another plugin. So if I make an update over here, you got to do a lot of testing to make sure it doesn't break something else over here. And so there's a certain amount of time that you have to invest or pay for a developer to do. And when you pay for a developer to do it, you'll probably see that that adds a significant amount to your monthly costs um, as again, a kind of a hidden cost that oftentimes is, is overlooked. Then you have the actual plugin cost. So every plugin, you know, whether, whatever the system is, there's some free ones that are, that are fine. And then usually to get the ones that are, you need for a legit business, you got to pay for usually not horrible. It's like, you know, $50 a year here, $60 a year here, but it adds up. Um, and so something like HubSpot, we looked at, if you look at all of our tools and you look at the top 100 WordPress plugins, we have 75 out of the top 100 baked in right out of the gate that you don't have to install. You don't have to update. You don't have to configure. It's just all set up right out of the box. So just the plugins and the themes and all that stuff is like a, um, an interesting cost to, to consider. Um, and then the third one, which you mentioned is just your overall time, your team's time, which again is a opportunity cost where if you're not, if you're spending time chasing around gatekeepers to make fixes and your things are getting moved slowly out the door and you know, your marketer makes a change to a color somewhere and that breaks something else on the site. Now your developers got to go in and fix it. Um, you know, it, at all of those things, the learning curve of a new system with all these plugins having a different UI that they have to learn and see where things are at, all of those things are eating your time up, which is your most precious and most valuable asset. And so that I think, again, there's, there's a certain level of, um, value that's associated with a marketing team, just being able to get their work done and get done effectively and quickly, um, that you, you lose when you make that trade-off in, doing maybe a little cheaper, uh, you know, on, on first glance, cheaper system. So that's, that's how I, those are all considerations when you're evaluating systems and you're evaluating costs. And if you go through that, if you're a really small company, you might go through that and be like 300 bucks is just like HubSpot CMS is just more than what we need. And that's totally cool. Like we're not built for everyone. Um, but if you're a growing company and you have struggled with those things like high maintenance, gatekeepers, um, fuzzy ROI, not knowing where to spend your time. Like mm. there's where you can start seeing something like HubSpot solving some of those problems for you. Right. And then, then obviously you've got the, um, the enterprise side of things, right? So that, that's a big jump, but obviously that is, you know, horses for courses. There's a, there's a particular audience for it. So you have, uh, from HubSpot marketing. And I think we spoke a lot about the features. You obviously have the CMS and if you know anything about HubSpot, it's, WYSIWYG, right? It's drag and drop. It's easy to use. I think that, you know, goes without saying, um, and obviously the single customer view and whatnot. So then there's the, the jump from HubSpot. Uh, we call it, you know, what you call it CMS hub professional to CMS hub enterprise, which is $900 per month. So first question, who does that compete with? Like, is that, is there an Apple and Apple sort of comparison for that? And then let's, you know, briefly talk about some of the features there as well. Well, we saw with enterprise, um, you know, again, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit where you have, you know, a certain group of CMSs out there that are, you know, you have your do-it-yourselfer platforms, the, the Wix Squarespaces, then kind of you outgrow that and you move into the open source world. And then eventually you kind of outgrow that a little bit and you move into open source hosted, meaning like a WP engine. At a certain point, you, you outgrow that and your next step up is something like a Sitecore, like an EpiServer, like a... Um, uh, Adobe experience manager. And like, again, that's a massive build out. The license fees on those are just, I mean, 
the companies that are paying them have to be the size to be able to afford those types of license fees. So uh, they're, they're massive, massive pieces of software. And so what we saw was that there are a number of companies who outgrow the open source world of unpredictable, high maintenance, high, low securities type of, type of a system, but can't quite afford $100,000, $400,000 a year in license fees for some of these, these larger systems. And so that's really our sweet spot is the mid-market. These companies that are, uh, you know, on the CMS Pro, it's, again, it's, it's more about functionality of the website, less about company size. But if I were mm-hmm. to like throw a dart to company size, CMS Pro is really like 25 employees, maybe even down to 10, but 10 to 200 employees, somewhere in CMS professional. Enterprise is like 200 to 2,000 employees. That's really like the types of companies that are scaling. So CMS Hub Enterprise still comes with everything we talked about in professional to help solve with the maintenance and ease of use and all that. But it's also for a scaling organization who needs to build powerful web apps on top of the CMS, build web app experiences, and needs to have governance and control over this growing team. When you start having you know, a a marketing team that's Latin America region and then Europe region, and then you have Asia Pacific and then US, and you don't want those teams to be seeing content they don't need or accessing things they don't need. You want to have some level of governance and control over the system to make sure that your IT team is happy, to make sure that, you know, there's no potential conflicts and, and it's just very clear what swim lanes each team has. Those are the types of um, things that we we see in enterprise. So the, the three kind of like summing it up, I guess the three takeaways for Ener- CMS hub enterprise. One, if you want to build basically a web app, we see the lines of software and websites blurring. Like it's really tough to say what a website is and what a software is. And we're basically saying at this point, there is no different. So you can use enterprise to build your web apps, just like uh, a software company does to be able to gain that governance control uh, and then three, the third kind of value prop for enterprises, if you need to extend your brand, if you've got to start launching multiple websites in multiple regions, or you have an event and you need a website for the event or a micro site for this particular initiative, um, you can start expanding your brands into hosting more websites all running off of a centralized HubSpot platform. Yeah, nice, nice. So that's obviously ideal for clients like who might have, you, you spoke about the government, governance side of things, microsites, uh, mini sites, sites in different localities. So yeah, it, it takes care of that. And um, the other group, which we've, we've briefly touched on um, it's, it's funny, you know, coders, you know, we're probably not giving them enough, enough time on this podcast, but it is a marketing and business podcast after all, but coders are generally happy too. like, I know our coders uh, have, have been happy with it for some time but I understand there's things like sandbox portals. There's a whole bunch of things that coders and IT departments um, like. So what is, you know, what are some of the other kind of things that they do like, or they are, I know you would have engaged with that audience before you developed this thing, but what are they liking about the whole ecosystem of HubSpot CMS? There's like two, there's two groups that we considered. So there's, there's three personas for this um, product. The first one is marketers. That's our primary. That's everyone listening to the show probably. The second one um, are developers. So the folks that are actually like coding, hands-on coding the things. And the third are IT teams. In smaller companies, the developer and the IT team are probably the same person. They probably wear two hats. At bigger companies, you probably have a whole IT team, an ops team, and then you have a development team that builds up the site. 
And so for those two personas, um, one of the big changes with CMS Hub in general, if any of you have ever looked at HubSpot in the past, HubSpot CMS in the past, our our previous product, um, we kind of had one editing experience for both marketers and developers called the design manager. And the design manager was kind of like a tool that was supposed to be used by both people. and we basically built a tool that wasn't super friendly to either. And so what we did is design manager will stay. There's some people that like love it and like live by it and have tattoos on, not literally, but could have a <laughs> tattoo on it. But what we found was that we need to have two distinct editing experiences where the marketers, again, like we've been talking about pure visual, pure, very easy to drag and drop and, and move things around, slide things, make things bigger. The developers, they prefer to work um, uh, usually 100% locally. So they'll code everything on their local machines. They shoot it into a sandbox portal for QA. They run it through Git or GitHub for version control and um, for access controls. And then they push it into like a production live uh, website. And that workflow was never possible or it was required a lot of duct tape and glue. There were some smart developers that figured out workarounds. But um, now we have a true local development workflow that... um, gives the developers again a sandbox portal. It gives them the local development CLI for connecting all the pieces, writing locally. They can use all the editors, tools, frameworks that they already love on the system they've used in the past. And they basically just unplug WordPress or Drupal or whatever they've been building on. And now they can just plug in the piping to HubSpot and just keep using the same tools they've already loved. Um, And so we found a lot of developers um, have been have been loving that. The second thing that we built into the system that developers love, which goes into the enterprise product and that building those web app experiences is something called serverless functions. And serverless functions is like a little, we're going to get, I'm going to try to keep this not, not very technical, but the way to think of serverless functions is it's a little piece, it's a little um, area in your, in this case, in our CMS, where you can host application, coded applications. And so instead of in other CMSs, you have to like spin up some outside server of like Heroku or AWS, you got to connect everything with APIs, you got to like manage that server. And if it goes down, you got to like fix it. We're saying, no, we'll just give you a spot. We'll manage it and take care of it for you. It's on our SaaS system and we just do everything for you. You just drop your code in there and you're ready to rock and you can like build your application. And so um, those are used to build those more complex things like calculators, quoting tools, event registration systems, um, you know, dashboards, personalized dashboards. And so a lot of developers love that serverless functions because it just blows the door open to what you can build, especially when you take that serverless functions and you connect it to all the other apps that are directly in the HubSpot app. So you can use serverless functions with our lists tool. You can use serverless functions with our forms tool with HubDB, which is our little lightweight database we have, with um, our workflows and automation if you have the marketing tools. And so you kind of have this, this um, right out of the box, developers have all these little pieces of a puzzle, and then the serverless function is kind of the engine that connects all those pieces and can build, they can use to build these, mm. these applications without that's having to build like all the other stuff. Yeah, that that I know that's been a big pain for a lot of uh, developers. If you've probably explained to me eight times in different ways, um, the whole server side thing, having calculators, having all these things that need to be processed elsewhere that are not sitting in the CMS, or you can do it in the CMS, but it's slow. And uh, I'm pretending to try to understand most of what you said, 
<laughs> so if you if you did understand what Luke said, you know, good on you. But the good thing to know is his coders are happy. That that's awesome. That's all. That's all you really need to know. The best analogy, the short analogy that I've that I've heard, which um, comes from from the AWS team, because we we our serverless functions runs on AWS Lambdas. It's powered by Lambdas, I should say, which is like a real power, like popular, um, you know, AWS product. The analogy they use is like if I need to go from point A, my house, I live in San Diego, so let's say I'm going to the beach, from point A to point B, I have multiple ways I can get there. One, I can, if I drive myself, that means I'm going to have to buy a car, I'm going to have to fill the car up with gas, get a license, jump in the car, learn how to drive, get from point A to point B, find parking, pay for parking. It's like a lot of steps and a lot of headache to just get to the beach. That's what kind of the world is if you don't have serverless functions. If you have serverless functions, it operates a lot more like Lyft and Uber, where you just put in the end destination. You don't have to know anything, buy anything, do anything, maintenance anything. I just hop in the car and it takes me there and I get to point B. And that's basically what serverless functions are, where we have all this baked in. You don't have to deal with all the other headaches related to running an app application. We just deal with it for you and you just drop your code in and you're ready to go. Yeah, nice one. Easy. That, that's the key thing there. So speaking, the, and then the the uh, sorry, um, no, please. I just wanted to, before we forget, I just want to make sure we talk about the the last persona really briefly, the IT folks. And so this is for again those companies that are scaling, thinking about scalability, thinking about security, thinking about governance and control. And so we built a number of new features in the enterprise um, product here that basically satisfies that team. They're going to give you the sign off. They're going to be happy about it. Say, all right, this thing, I like, I can trust this thing. I can plug CMS hub into all our monitoring systems, into all our scalability systems. Um, so we've, we've released a few APIs that allow them to do things like um, performance logging, activity logging. We have SSO, which is single sign on. So they can manage all the teams. We have teams and user permissions. So you can partition certain content items for certain teams and make sure other teams don't have access to it. All those things that contribute to being able to have a website that can scale with your company. As code you alerts and that sort of thing, stuff that only- Code alerts. Yeah, yep. that they would worry about. Yeah, awesome. That's good to know. Um, yeah, you've got, like, I think the key is, the thing is that you've always had the CMS hub, so it's not like this is a brand new product. So I think there's a lot of- um, What's what I'm looking for? There's a lot of confidence, you know, someone can go into this, that this is not something that's, it's always been there, but it's, it's kind of the new version, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. The, the history of it, it's always been a, kind of an add on to our marketing tools. And so it's kind of been hiding behind the scenes and, um, and this CM, it, it, we call it, you know, different names throughout the years, but generally speaking, HubSpot CMS and um, you know, Rightfully so, with as the shifts that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, the website is is an absolutely critical part to your business, and so it deserves, um, you know, the ability to have a full hub, um, and not only, like you said, we do. I would say a bunch of the pieces that we've had there are still exist today, but I, I actually, me personally, I actually do think of it as a totally new product because of the editing experiences, because of all the things that we talked about in enterprise. Um, because of the, it's, it's almost the evolution of what we've had. And so I just like to say that because many times folks have checked out our CMS in the past. They may be like, no, oh, what is this all about? And I would encourage you to, to treat this like, hey, let's check this out. Like it's the first time we've ever seen this because very much the things you're going to see probably you probably have never seen before 
uh, at HubSpot. And that's why it's the same as Hub. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on there. Mm-hmm. Um, the final question I had around, uh, you know, a really sort of tactical type of question. We spoke about plugins and the issue with plugins too. I mean, the thing is, you know, the problem with a, not all WordPress websites are the same, right? Like you and I could probably build a website just by plugins and then you have all that bloat. Now, cool. We know that. That's fine. But one of the, the pros, uh, you know, like anyone who's built on WordPress or if most marketers will know things like Theme Forest and all those websites, we can find a plugin or a theme for everything. So that, that's a great pro because you can almost find something that someone's coded and, and then maybe down the track, three is down the track, you'll realize why that wasn't such a good idea to yeah. just buy a plugin. There's a, there's a lot out there. There's some good and there's a lot of bad. So you got to yeah. make sure that, you know, having a lot of options can be a good thing, but you got to do your research. That's for sure. You got to navigate through that. Right. But I guess the pro of that, you, you can sort of find it. So HubSpot obviously has its marketplace. So is that kind of like the HubSpot's version of where you can find customizable things that people have built, functionality that people have built? Is, is that its sort of equivalent, the marketplace? And maybe talk to that and the power of the marketplace. Yeah, we at HubSpot over the last few years, we've been making a really big shift. For those who have been following HubSpot for a while, it's been really interesting working there through this shift because I feel like I'm living in a, in a real world MBA case study, which it very much is. It's a case study taught at Harvard and MIT and all those folks. Um, when I first got there five years ago, we only had a marketing tool and that was it. We had marketing tool and then we had these little side startups. I don't know if anyone listening remembers like Signal or Sidekick and like we didn't have the CRM yet. It was like just Signals and Sidekick, a little, little side thing. Those eventually grew into our sales hub and, and we launched the CRM. So we moved from a single product to a multi-product suite where now, um, this was probably four years ago. We had marketing hub, we had sales, we launched service. I don't know, three years ago, maybe. And we have our, our, um, CRM. So we had all these tools. We had our CMS kind of hiding in the back. And over the last two years, we've made this huge change from being a closed, uh, software suite to being an open software platform, platform meaning that we're opening up the system for folks to build on top of our system. And we're doing that through our APIs, along with things like our CMS that, you know, and serverless functions, all the things we already talked about, you can build on top of our CMS. So the API side of it is interesting. Um, you can custom build things with the APIs. We have, um, I want to say, I think 44, 45 different public APIs. And we have, a, we have whole product teams that that's all they do is think about APIs. So we're always releasing more new ones um, to make the system even more open and flexible. All that's to say is you got a lot of people building cool things on top of HubSpot now. We need a place to show all the cool things people are building, which is the marketplace like you're talking about. So we have right now, the marketplace has been like a couple projects that have kind of grown up and I know what they're working on is trying to unify it all together into one, one place. Right now we have basically three marketplaces. One marketplace is our app marketplace. These are all the software that in, you know, one click install integrates into HubSpot. Um, and so there's 350 app partners, you know, we have a CMS bundle in there. If you're curious on what CMS specific type stuff you might want to consider, you can go into the marketplace and it shows that. Um, and so those are all the applications that you can add in. Now the difference though, the one thing that I want to make, make very clear here, the difference of an open source platform, it's kind of like the wild west. There's way less standards 
for developers to adhere to because that's the nature of the system. They want it to be completely open. Um, and there's very little guardrails. And so you have all these developers kind of building in different ways. And so if you have the average website, uh, WordPress site has 20 to 50 plugins. That means you got 20, and 20 to 50 different developers code trying to all interact with one another. And that's where you run into some of these upgrade issues and conflicts with plugins like uh, conflicting with each other. The difference with a proprietary platform is it's very much more like an Apple type of a system where you have all of the app store that the Apple store that has certain guardrails, certain SDKs that are pre-built that developers use to make sure that it eliminates a lot of those bad user experiences where things start conflicting and all that. So you, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You have the flexibility of having lots of things you can install to extend the system, but you mitigate the conflicts and issues you have with like the wild west approach where you have all these developers building all kinds of things that can conflict with each other. So that's the app marketplace. Then we have the asset marketplace which is all the modules, themes, templates that you can buy and install in for building content. You can kind of think of that as all the content stuff, the CMS mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so we have that as well. And there's, um, I don't know, 5,000 different assets in there, five, 6,000 assets in there. Again, modules, templates, and then themes. The last one that we have, which is not directly related to this, is the solutions partner directory. It's like an agency directory. It's all, you know, y'all are in there and it's the, it's the folks that are building on top of HubSpot, but doing services on top of HubSpot. And so we, we make it easy for you to find, you know, different people around the globe that are doing cool things on HubSpot from the services side. So those are like the three that we have today. Um, the two for the CMS app, apps and um, asset. Yeah. I love that. And it's, 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 it is more like a democracy as opposed to the wild west. Like even the partners there, obviously, We've got to do our accreditations. We have to code the way HubSpot tells us to code. There's a lot of the app integration. So obviously that's a lot of the native integrations, right? Like Zero and a whole bunch of other systems you can, you know, kind of integrate with. So yeah, that, that's yeah. really awesome. Um, Luke, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, what time is it there, by the way? It's, uh, it's like 3 p.m. It's not too bad. It's okay, awesome. 3 in the cool. afternoon. But still, anyway, I mean, before I ask my final question, is there anything else you want to touch on sort of the CMS, anything we would have missed, um, you know, anything that folks might be thinking about as it pertains to the CMS hub? I, I think the, the best thing you can do is just get your hands dirty and try it out. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's easy for us to talk about it. It's another thing to experience it. And so we have, um, if you're a developer, again, we have, you can go into our developer documentation and we have a getting started guide that gives them all the tools for free, including a free CMS that they can literally play around with, build with, have fun, break things. And um, it's a sandbox CMS, so you're not going to hurt anything. You just can't launch it live unless you upgrade to a paid. You know, you got pay to pay to launch the thing, pay to play. But um, the for the marketers, like, again, you could you could use one of those sandbox CMSs. You also could just spin up a trial and play with it. And it you'll get access to the themes. You'll get to see everything. Um, and that's all on just HubSpot.com. You can check it all out. So I think that's... That's probably the best thing that you could do. Um, the other thing that might be kind of interesting is we have another tool that some of you might have heard of called Website Grader. It's like websitegrader.com. And it's basically a free tool um, that you can put in your website and it gives you some suggestions on what you're doing well on and some areas you can improve. And so that can be a really great starting point if you're just like, man, we haven't looked at our website in a while. Like, I don't even know where to start or like, what's, how is it, how is it performing for SEO or for speed? 
you can dump uh, your website in there, get the free report, and it'll guide you in like, hey, these are the areas that you might want to pay attention to in the next couple months um, in order to improve it. So that's like, I think a good place, whether you're interested in HubSpot or not, and you're just like, I haven't thought about my website in a while, it's a good place to like get some pro tips um, or get some tips from the, the tool when they do the audit. Yeah, that's an awesome one. Website grader, we'll link to that. And the, I, I didn't know that too, the free sandbox for developers, something that, because marketers can just say, look, just just play with it. I don't know. I don't know all the answers to your questions. Just play with it. So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> exactly. Just get them to the documentation. And, and from there, like they can just play and get their hands dirty. That's that's the thing. It's just developers.hubspot.com. Get them to developers.hubspot.com and they'll be all good to, to check it all out. Exactly, exactly. And the other one for the marketers, of course, we mentioned it earlier, inspire.hubspot.com. There's a whole bunch of examples there. Mm-hmm. You built stuff for folks like Coca-Cola, you know, you've got enterprise, you've got medium, you know, size companies there. Um, so I think that'll answer any gaps, you know, in this interview uh, at all. Um, what I want to ask you is I saw, cause obviously you're a veteran, you've been doing this for a little while now. We've been forced into working from home. Um, and it's definitely been an adjustment for me. And one of the things that I've sort of, cause I'm used to going to an office. I go to work there and that's my work life and it's my home life. And one of the things I'm, I've struggled with, which I'm sort of, you know, working on is the areas of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a post you did just a couple of days ago, actually on that. I've been trying to think about every single day is how you prioritize your day. And I thought it'd be awesome for you to share that with the folks as a, as a parting answer, but um, talk to us around how you prioritize and how you sort of focus and, and what's, what's helped you. Yeah. One of the, just focus in general is an area that I think um, it's kind of interesting. You don't really ever learn about this stuff in school. I don't know why you probably should, but uh, you don't learn about how to prioritize and focus. And so when, when you, when you jump into what am I going to do this year? What am I going to do today? Um, It's really can feel overwhelming and and tough on where you focus. And it's something that I, I personally working on a lot. And that's why I, I posted that because you know, as I'm being a student of it, I'm finding some good nuggets along the way that, that hopefully others find helpful. The, with focus, um, one of the things that can be helpful with determining focus is putting in some art, either artificial um, restraints or artificial like limiting factors to, to basically cut through, um, cut through to the heart of what you need to work on. So like an example of that, the one, I'll explain what I, the one that I posted related to your schedule, but let's say you're setting goals and you say, you're saying, here's where I want to be in five years. An example is this is all done through questions. Questions are such a powerful tool for thinking about these things. The question when I do, when I do goal planning and I say, um, where do we want to be in three years? I say, what would it, what would we have to do to get there in three months? And so that really is like a, a very restrictive forcing type of a question that narrows down into, okay, here are the like four key things we have to do. And we would have to like blow it up this way in order to make it happen in three months. And it becomes, it, it crystallizes the path a lot better than if you're thinking of like, well, this fuzzy five-year uh, or three-year timeline. And so that's an example of a, of a limiting question that can help kind of crystallize and, and bring focus. The one that I posted about the other day is for, for doing your schedule was, um, and this isn't mine. This was, I mean, lots of people have said this. I, I think there's a link to um, a YouTube video of a founder who talks about this. Maybe we can get in the links, but um, the, the question is, if you only had one hour of a day to work, what would you do in that hour? And 
I think that's a it's, it's a it's a different reframing on when you think about your time. I think sometimes people say, well, what if I had one less hour? What would I do for the day? And people would be like, oh, I just skip lunch or I'd work an hour later and I'd get mm. I'd squeeze in whatever I had to. But it's a very different question when you say, look, if you only had one hour, what would you do today to move your project forward towards its goals? So you got to first know your goals and you got to know like what are the biggest friction things that are causing you not to move towards your goals. And then that provides you know a lens on which you can evaluate where would that one hour be best spent um, and in this case like again you, you can you can determine okay if I had one hour what are the high leverage where if I invest 10 minutes into this thing 20 minutes into this thing there's a disproportionate momentum swing that's going to happen by investing that one hour and investing in that 10 minutes um, to get us to that those goals and relieve that friction that we talked about um, so that's a good way to that's a good way to think of it Right when I read that question, the last thing I'll say on that, right when I read that question for the first time, I always, I've actually been on this where, um, you know, it's sometimes it's tough to unplug when you're on vacation. So you're mm -hmm. on like a, you're on a family vacation, you're trying to unplug completely, but there's just so much going on that you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta spend a little time um, just keeping the momentum going. And that's like a, a real world situation where you might only have an hour and you need to say, well, if I'm on this vacation, I got one hour before you know, everyone gets, you know, pulls me away to do vacation stuff. Like, what am I going to do? If you could take that same mentality to every day, imagine like, man, I'm on, I'm on, uh, I got one hour. What am I going to do today for the one hour? And then put that at the top and then fill in all the pebbles and sand, all the little stuff after, um, that maybe isn't is quite impactful. I love that. And that's something I've been, um, uh, looking at since I read your post. So thank you. That I thought that was really helpful. And um, yeah, if I only had one hour today, um, I would have spent it with you. And um, yeah, which is like, it. probably been the length of this interview. So Luke, once again, thank you so much. We'll link uh, to everything in the show notes. Um, this should be out very, very soon. And um, uh, yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, keep doing the great things you guys are doing. Of course. I appreciate you having me on and, and all the good work that y'all are doing with the CMS and with all things HubSpot. It's we always talk about our partners, you know, again, as someone who came from the partner world, it's like partners and agencies are so dear to my heart. And um, it's so cool to see all the amazing stuff that y'all are doing on top of our platform. Because at the end of the day, it's just a tool. You got to have the knowledge and you got to have the, the strategy and the um, execution to be able to make the magic happen. So that's what y'all are doing, which is great. Thanks for listening to Inbound Buzz. Learn anything? Return the favor by spreading the word. Want to make your mark in digital? Need help with your digital strategy, inbound, and marketing automation efforts? Then visit redpandas.com.au and be sure to tune in next time for another Inbound Buzz hit.